Tapes and Scouts, a podcast where two friends review every single movie they watch. Well, hey, what's this? This is an episode that is somehow current yet 50 years old all at once. How can that be? Uh, because you came up with this idea and you said we should do it. Oh, so if it's good, I get all the credit? If it's bad, you get all the credit, too. Oh, I'll take it. That's fine. Yeah. I like attention, good or go. bad. Here you go. This is your thing. What is it? What are we doing? Well, I said, you know, movies, they've been coming out for a while. They have. And there's a bunch of them that are now this year. So, this, so we never date a podcast, but this time we sure should. So in the future, this makes sense. Uh, it's 2023, and 50 years ago it was 1973. Yeah. And there's a bunch of movies from there that are hitting their 50th milestone, and I think we should talk about them. I like that. And if we're any good at this, we'll probably do it again before the year's up. You know what I was thinking about, and I'll kind of hit you with this uh, question at the end more specifically, mm-hmm. but it also would be cool if we did maybe like a 50-100. So we Ooh. each do a 50 and we each do a 100. Ooh, man. That's pretty wild shit right there. Oh, man. I'm I'm into it. Yeah. But, man. Yeah, that's interesting. It's going to be hard to find some of them old ones, isn't it? Easier maybe? as time goes on, to be honest uh, Well, that's you. true. Yeah. yeah. Like, we're getting into, like, the age of, like, the universal horror film, right? Like, 1923, I believe, was Frankenstein. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, we're probably starting with a bunch of westerns if we do that. <laughs> westerns and... Like cheap gothic horror, but a lot of cool German influence and impressionism. All right, yeah. Buster Keaton influence stuff, a lot of Chaplin influence stuff in I'm, the comedy realm. I'm all about it. A lot of studio pictures for sure. I think a lot, a lot of, of a lot of mid Atlantic accents. I feel like they're going to be hard to talk about, but I feel like they're going to be short films. They're going to be like 50 minutes, right? Like they're gonna, the <laughs> at lob, least that. a lob. That's all I'm trying to do is just give us easy ones. Yeah, I like that. But this one is each of us have two. 50-year-old films. Yeah. As of 2023, they're 50 years old. That's right. So it means movies from 1973 to you. That's Wherever right. you are in time, you time traveler. Oh, boy. If you somehow traveled to before 1973, we're spoiling these for you. Uh-oh. So. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you want to go first or second, but I definitely... Had to give you your first movie. Yeah, yeah. The There's no ones. denying I had to leave that for It you. looks like you and I are going to compete for what was the better movie from that year, because both were very critically acclaimed. Both were up for many Motion Picture Academy Awards. Correct. The year. I'll go first. All right. My first film is from 1973, as that was the homework. It is a little movie. It's an obscure hit yeah. called The Exorcist. <laughs> I'm so shocked we haven't gotten this on here. Prior. I know. it's It stunned me. Yeah. It was one I had to go back and again, triple check to make sure <laughs> that it was not on here somewhere. I watched this on 52923. It's two hours and 12 minutes long. It is a horror film directed by William Friedkin, starring Linda Blair in her first role, Ellen Burstyn, and Jason Miller. You are movie summary here. I believe it was her first role. Fairly sure on that. Could be not maybe her first movie role. She might have done some TV, but I think this was her first film role. Okay. When a teenage girl is possessed by a mysterious entity, her mother seeks the help of two priests to save her daughter. I think everybody understands the actions. If you haven't seen the film, you know the basic plot. There's been a ton of replicants based on this film. There's been so many movies that follow this formula of there is a child who slowly gets possessed and then they get fully possessed and then we need someone to depossess them. Dispossess? Unpossess. Exercise. 
There it is. Jazzercise. Jazzercise the demon. That's right. They have to get it out of there. This is a hard movie for me to review because it's been reviewed so many times. It's largely considered one of the scariest horror movies ever made. So I watched the version you've never seen, which was the one that I have on DVD. Sure. Um, the, what, the reason it's the version you've never seen is because I don't know if you know this, but when the movie aired, they tuck in little snippets of like creepy faces Ooh. and they put in little like things that are like, superimposed on like the door or in the background and then weren't there a couple of frames later. Oh, that's so fun. what they did is they slowed those pieces down or extended them a little bit so you could see them clearly. Okay. And then when the movie first came out, you couldn't see them. So it was like in your subconscious, you're like, am I seeing shit? Like it made you feel like you were. That's so fun. So it intensified people's reaction to the film. So this version is the like slowed down. Those pieces are there long enough. You can see them. not super long, but they're there long enough. You can clearly see them with, you know, with your eye and your conscious mind. That's really cool. Yeah. Pretty neat. This movie has one of my all time favorite makeup effects. If you're not familiar with the makeup effects artist, Dick Smith, this is one of his films. He's one of the, he's known as the godfather of makeup effects. He is absolutely pivotal in the modernization of special makeup effects and the progression of special makeup effects. His history is long and he is one of the best of all time. The makeup I'm referring to is not anything to do with Linda Blair. It is the makeup on Max von Sydow, who plays a priest who is elderly, the priest who has a heart condition and dies at the end of the film. Max von Sydow was 44 when he was playing this part. Max von Sydow could not get roles in films because no one knew he was 44. That's hmm. how good and convincing this makeup effect was. Also, how good his performance was. That is damn impressive that no one even thought to think that he may, might not be an old man, but he needed to be for the scenes with all the exorcism. Sure. At the end, they needed somebody a little bit younger than an actual elderly person. A little more demanding of yeah, a Yeah, the physicality <laughs> was much different, so that makeup is astounding. Like, if you go back and look at it, like, I just geeked out when Sam and I watched it, because I was explaining to her why that makeup is so damn good. Yeah. That's awesome. It's really good. One thing I do want to call out about this film, if you haven't seen it, there is a priest who is kind of brought on to look at the Linda Blair character, and he is also a psychiatrist as well as a priest, and he does psychiatric help for the priests at this church. And so he gets basically, they go to him to kind of decompress. They have to hear all kinds of shit and they have sure. to do confessions and things like that. So he listens to them and kind of helps them and talks it out. And he's going through a process where his mother is dying and they're not really sure what's going on. And then she eventually does die. And then that's one of the ways the demon plays at it is if the demon knows that his mother recently died mm -hmm. and you get the, the famous TV edit. Yes. Your mother sews socks that smell, she, which she is great. Oof. Not your mother sucks cocks in hell, which is the actual line. There's some horrible language in this movie, by the way. And yeah. a small child speaks a lot of it. Yes. So just warning on that it's one. very effective. It is. And it, they, it's cool because they use a whole different voice and everything like that. So it's pretty effective. This ends up kind of grading on the priest. One thing I wish they had thrown out is maybe like a couple of lines or something where he references his mother. Like, you know, something my mom used to say, or I think about it this way, or, you know, when I was a kid, I'd do that. My mom did this one. Mm. Just one or two other things. So we had some positive images of his mom. Pretty much the whole time we see Karis interact with his mother, it's a negative because she's dying, which mm. is, you have to just, you make the leap that he has a good relationship with his mother. He's taking care of her and he's trying to get her into like some kind of care facility to where she, and she just keeps refusing him. She's, you know what I mean? Old strong lady who yeah. doesn't want to take no shit. So she's try, like pushing back a lot on him. 
and he's trying really hard to do it. And you have to assume he has a good relationship with her, but you never see him have a good relationship with her. Right. And you can see how damaging and how hard it is because his performance is top notch mm -hmm. in this movie. It's just really hard to, like, I just wish that you could, I think it resonate a little bit more with the audience if you got to see at least, he or hear or see a flashback or hear a line of him thinking favorably on his mother. That's I, fair. And that's really like one of the only criticisms I can give this movie. It's really good. It's really scary. Tubular Bells is one of the best soundtrack pieces of all time to accompany a horror film. Yeah. It's just awesome from top to bottom. There's no part of this movie that isn't scary or interesting or upsetting. It's really effective. I mean, all these years later, everybody knows the action. We still talk about it. Everybody knows that it just speaks volumes. It was the most award-winning film of the year up against some crazy other movies like The Sting, the movie you're about to do, yeah. some really good ones on that roster. For IMDb, they give it an 8.1 out of 10. Nice. Critics, 87 critics. That's all that wanted to go back and view Wild. The Exorcist. But they give it an 84% which okay. I thought was a, like, surprisingly like kind of low considering how well the regarded this movie is. Yeah. yeah. 250,000 plus of the audience, though, did see The Exorcist, and they kind of agree, 87% for The Exorcist. Hmm. And I will touch on something at the end of the episode about this, too, and why I think that's the way it is. I'm giving this a nine. I don't know what the hell's wrong with all these other people. I don't know what's wrong with them either. Their mothers clearly sew socks that smell. They just don't know how to do it any other way. No. Stupid mothers. Socks. Socks. Well, a big movie as well. Big movie. Big movie from 1973. No. Duh. 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 I watched this on the 5th of uh, May. 5-5. Five, 5-5. Five. Five, five. 23. Serpico. Oh, man, I'm so excited you watched this movie. Yeah, Serpico. That's a good one. Oh, my goodness. I, I told the wife what we were going to do. I said, you want to watch any of this stuff? Because I'm doing it. And she picked Serpico. That's a good Pacino. It's a very good Pacino. So, your IMDb minutes, two hours, ten minutes. Genre biography crime drama, directed by Sidney Lumet. <sighs> Which has some clout for you right now, coming after the, yeah. the 12 Angry Men. 12 Angry Men's so good. Yeah. Starring Al Pacino, John Randolph, and Jack Cahill. Cahill? Cahill. That guy. Um... <laughs> Your IMDb movie summary. An honest New York cop named Frank Serpico blows the whistle on rampart corruption in the force only to have his comrades turn against him. Yep. So this is based on a true story, loosely. Al Pacino just really, this is one of the best performances he's ever had. I agree with you. I, I, I don't know what comes close. I like Heat, probably. Heat, maybe. Dog Day Afternoon's good, but like this has a lot Scarface. more power. Scarface. But all of those are so drastically different. And I think that's what the range of Pacino. Like you have Scarface and Heat are way over here. Mm -hmm. Like, you got a great ass. You know what I mean? Like, but this is so much different. Right. This is so much more. He normally is a very external actor. Like everything's coming out. Like he's very good at emoting in a big way, but a right. big film way. This, He's internalizing everything. It's yeah. the very opposite end of the spectrum for it's him. It's so interesting because he just wants to be an honest cop, and there's not a lot of honest cops that he's interacting with. Everybody's on the take. Everybody's doing something at least a little shitty, and he keeps saying, like, don't do that because I'm going to have to tell them. Like, he gives people a chance. He does. He really does. He really tries, and he's like, listen, I can't be here and see this stuff. Like, f clean it up, or I got to say something. And he does every time, and it gets bad. Yes. And he just wants to work undercover. Uh, he wants to get that 
that badge and do detective work. Um, he spends a lot of time in the undercover undercover division uh, doing narcotics work. He looks like like a crazy hippie guy almost. He does, and he kind of does it on purpose. But like it really just kind of he starts changing. I feel. I feel like he's becoming a different person. But it's also because of what he's going through and what he's dealing with. And he feels like he shouldn't have to go through this. And he deals with a lot of abuse from the fellow cops. Uh, there's arguments like, did they put him in dangerous situations? There's even a point where he gets shot at by another cop, which is an accident. Yeah. It is wild. And his life kind of suffers for it, his personal life. He oh, tries yeah. so hard to be a good dude, but he's got all this pent up aggression and just anger and it, he very rarely is he a bad boyfriend or husband or whatever but like you just see it boil over and he's just so drained mentally the weight on him and he, it's palpable in his performance it is like you said he internalizes everything because he's just kind of like oh alright I guess I gotta and he just knows like he can't actually do it he knows he's gonna blow the whistle he knows he's gonna have to say something his it goes physicality pretty, even like the way he holds himself is very, the weight of somebody who's under a ton of stress there's times like when he's happy he's all over the place he's typical Al Pacino he's at a party he's having fun he's having drinks dancing whatever he's great but then when he gets to work he's defeated he's 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 hunched over he's like that's really really sad and it goes and it's because he's dealing with some big stuff it goes up through government work and different uh parts of the government that are involved with this some of these scandals that he uncovers and it is intense how many things he really goes through yes his performance is great. There's a lot of other great performances in here. Uh, oh, yeah. John Randolph, very good as well. But I, I got to say, this is just Pacino all the way. And so I, the movie's called Serpico. Right, right. It's interesting if you do look at uh, Frank Serpico, the real Frank Serpico. Uh, interesting guy. I think he ended up in like Italy, away from everybody. Makes sense. He's like, I'm going to go somewhere else. Good for him. Yeah, but uh, it's a very, just, it's a long one. This is a long one for, for what we're dealing with. Because it's almost like I was feeling drained and tired say, it drags you through the muck it does a little bit and it's like you want this this uh, you most movies you get happy moments where it's like oh he got a little bit in he got a little bit in even when he gets a little bit in it doesn't feel like it it's like he gets to escape it's one step forward two steps back the entire movie mm-hmm. but it's an amazing movie it's an amazing performance it's very raw like it feels so realistic like it reads as real to me of the time I mean sure. I know that there was a scene where he got into an argument with another officer and he was in like the changing area of the police station in the locker room and he just gets thrown out of nowhere like they're not even in the shot the guy comes up and pushes him against the locker and yep. just like he hurts him but like not badly yep. but he like clearly like is win- wincing in pain yep. and like Things like that will happen out of nowhere. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. There's even times where they're all meeting to do something shady and he's only going along with it so he can get to point C and then he can take care of it later. Yep. And he's like, they're like, whatever, fuck you, Serpico. You're out. I don't give a shit about you. You yep. can die. And they just keep going. And I'm like, holy shit, man. Yeah. It is intense. It is. Um, so if you're not ready for something so intense, I would say stay away. But otherwise, this is an amazing movie. It is. Really well done. I agree. I think that's about it. So let's see what people think. IMDb, 7.7. Okay. Rotten Tomato Critics, only 49 of them. Again, Yeah. 92%. That's high. Yes, the audience, 50,000 plus, gave it 88%. I like that. The wife scores the lowest at a 6.5. Okay. I gave it a 7.5. I think it's really good. I just think there's little tweaks I would make to this, and it would be even better. That makes sense. Yeah, it's a strong movie. Definitely check it out. 
Awesome. All right, Tim, I think I followed your formula here and I yeah. diverted from a very well-regarded film okay. to a very not well-regarded film. Yay! I'm going to unmute Sam because I'm sure she'll have a thing or two to say about this film. <laughs> it is called Thriller. A Cruel Picture. This oh, movie no. is indeed from 1973. We watched it on June the 1st of 2023. It is one hour, 22 minutes long. It is an exploitation film. Oh, no. Yes, indeed. It was directed oh, no. by Bo Arnie Vibinius. Okay. Starring Christina Lindbergh. Mm-hmm the director, and Despina Tomanzani. Oh, that's not good. The director stars. Yes. Oh, no. So this movie is pretty notorious. It is about a mute young woman who is trained as a violent, who trains as a violent assassin to seek revenge on those who wronged her. So I have to give you more than this. Okay. So this movie starts off with a little girl in the park, and she's attacked by a terrible, terrible man. Okay. And you find out that this terrible, terrible man, it cuts to her as a like young adult. Okay. This terrible, terrible man raped her. Okay. And created a scenario wherein psycho- psychologically she is now mute. She has the capability of speech. She was speaking before the incident, but she has never spoken since the incident and is unable to do so. So that's your your setup. Now she goes out. She like gets around town in terms of not in terms of being a loose woman, but she like literally hitchhikes hitchhikes because it's the seventies and she's trying to get from the farm she works on into town and vice versa. And she gets picked up by this very obviously sleazy dude mm-hmm. who you think is going to again rape her, and you're just like, oh no. It's worse than that, however. Oh, he no. takes her in, dopes her up, forces her to become addicted to heroin so he can force her into uh, sex work. Oh. And so geez. you have this poor girl who is forced to do sex work in exchange for very small amounts of heroin so that she can keep her, you know what I mean, keep from uh, going into withdrawal. So that's her motivation. Ugh. So Sam did not know this was, this is truly an exploitation film. Yes. To the point where they show very, very graphic very pornographic images. There is good amounts of it where it is extreme close-ups of a very hairy dick going into a very hairy vagina because it's the 70s. It's 70s people. So yeah. there is a lot of that, and it is unflattering, intentionally so. You're supposed to... You're, you're supposed to feel bad about so, it. Yeah, this is, so this is a very cheap way of making you feel bad for this girl. And I'm not saying cheap in that it's not awful. It is. But it's just a way to, we don't have to have her act if we just show the act is what they're aiming for. So it is a lot of extra. I mean, you see penises in, in holes that are not vaginas as well. Uh, you see other people together. There's a lot of things that are very questionable about this. But her roommate gives her the idea to charge a little bit more for some extras and not say anything and stow away money. So she stows away money and she takes martial arts lessons, driving lessons, shooting lessons. Okay. On her, she gets a day off so she does each of these things to become adept enough to be able to get revenge on the people who did this to her so this is very archetypical of the subject the exploitation subgenre known as the rape and revenge subgenre right. famously uh the movie that kind of created this and this is one of the imitators but the movie that created this is a movie called i spit on your grave which is not great. No, it has the longest, I believe, the longest continuous rape sequence committed to film. Uh, Isn't there like three of those things? There, well, they so they remade them in, okay. the, in the late '90s, early aughts, I believe, and there are several that base Ugh. on the back of those particular. Right. Yeah. But I don't think they're as graphic as the original I Spit on Your Grave. Oof. So this one is in that ilk. There's a lot of 
un like unabashed pornography, unabashed violence. This movie is not particularly. It's made. It's obviously made by people who are competent in filmmaking, but it's not particularly well made. The budget okay. was obviously very low. Um, a lot of the actual special effects are pretty graphic. At a point early on, the very first person she's to do sex work with, uh, he comes up to kiss her, and she scratches his face all up. And so to teach her a lesson, the guy who has doped her up and put her into the sex work takes a scalpel, and you see this, sticks it into her eyeball. Blip. Yeah. Blip. And so for the rest of the movie, she wears an eye patch. Jeez. And this character is homaged in Kill Bill. Okay. With the Daryl Hannah character who wears an eye patch. Right. So this is like a fairly famous version of this rape and revenge subgenre. It's hard to watch. It is not easy to watch, but I do think that if they are going for this extremely over-the-top version, they, they, they were successful. Right. So I think that, to me, is the hallmark of a successful film. I do think there's a lot of, and there's a lot of competent filmmaking in here as well, which is surprising. It's just what they elected to shoot, the subject matter, is mm. rough. Yeah, no. So I'll give my scores. I'll let Sam give her score, and then I will, uh, I'll pass it over to you for the last movie. For something a little lighter, no matter what it is. It is. That's right. <laughs> IMDb gives it a 6.4 out of 10. Surprisingly high for what we have. Wow. In Rotten Tomatoes critics, nine of them went back for Thriller, A Cruel Picture, and gave it 56%. Okay. Audience, 2,500 plus, 64%. Okay. And I am falling in line. I give it a 6.5 out of 10. It is hard to watch, but if you can handle especially the sexuality of it, and it's mm. not fun to watch, by design, right. I think you can get through it. Sam. Wow. I guess I'd give it probably like a five, maybe a 4.5. Wow. I was more mad at him for not warning me about this film, and it was like nothing I've ever watched before and horrible. Right. But would you have watched it if he explained it to you? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, uh, you're also. I did pick it too out of a list. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> so. I also was exposed to this movie not knowing early on into okay. my let me get into exploitation movies this is kind of cool when I watched some lighter definitely stuff with like nudity in it and I knew right. that that was part and part of I was not expecting extreme close ups of right. penetration and things like that this film delivered mm -hmm. I spit on your grave I didn't see until after this film mm -hmm. so it's just like oh my god well how much worse can it get and then I started watching it with the SS girl and like oh boy oh yeah. boy the exploitation is a dark deep terrifying hole Innuendo intended. <laughs> that 70s hole. Well. Good luck. I've got lighter fare. <laughs> Much lighter. Very light. But still on the schlocky end of things. Yeah. Sure is. It's still a horror movie. <laughs> I have 1973's The Satanic Rites of Dracula. This is, is this a Christopher Lee? It is. It's okay. a hammer horror. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. So, watch it on the 28th of May, 2023. It's an hour 27 horror. It is directed by Alan Gibson, starring Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, and Michael Coles. Mm. Your IMDb movie summary. In the 1970s, Scotland Yard believed it had uncovered a case of vampirism. They called in veteran vampire researcher Professor Lorimer Van Helsing, a descendant of Abraham Van Helsing. Of course, because that's who you call. Not Ghostbusters. No. Uh, We're talking I, vampires here. That's that we sure are. Um, this movie's pretty interesting. I always you you are very familiar with Hammer and how they do things. It's a it's a British horror. Uh, I really like how they handle this because this feels like Dracula is 
basically using the satanic cult right to accomplish his means and you you know you're like you get an idea like what's real what's not real i like how they play it up um because the police go and they find van helsing and they talk to him and he's like they're like well what is real he goes does it matter if they believe it's real and they're doing the thing to make it enact it it's real enough we have to go investigate we have to go deal with it that's right so we don't actually really know how much of the satanic side of this is actually real we just know dracula as a vampire is real it's right. very fun in that respect so there are other vampires that he's made that are on this like compound everybody's trying to break in and it doesn't go well for pretty much anybody right but it's got a bizarre kind of feel to it because it's so very different from most horror movies. Yeah. I think it plays almost like a detective movie more. Yeah. And uh, I far more real than horror or hammer horror, especially, which was the like, we're going to remake universal mm-hmm. horror in the, you know I mean? In the sixties and seventies, you know what I mean? Here in Britain, which is, mm-hmm. and this is a far, but I loved when they did stuff like this. I did the legend of the seven golden vampires, which That's was right. doing Kung Fu. It's like so when they would branch out was when they had got to their more interesting stuff, I think. Yeah. And I think this one's pretty good. I liked uh, a lot of the special effects. The vampires were simplistic. They were mostly women. They were like going to be sacrificed. So it's like pretty right. women in like a nightgown, but like they did good effects on their faces and their eyes. They made it very believable. Yep. I think this movie is pretty cool. And I just like how formal everything is. What do you it's think about just, Christopher Lee? Christopher Lee, great. Great Dracula. Christopher Lee is like, when I think of Dracula, I typically think Oh, of wow. Not the I, Bela Lugosi. Huh? I don't. Wow. I really don't. I really like Christopher Lee's version. I like the look of Christopher. Like, he just has such a, like, just everything it's about also him. also the is, voice. The oh, yeah. voice is so iconic. And maybe it's because we've seen him many years later in Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. And it's right. just like, damn, he commands such a performance. And he it's does. like, man, I like going back when he's a little younger and seeing this. Peter Cushing's pretty good, too. Always is. Always is. He's very Sherlocky, as you'd imagine. Yep. This is really kind of like just reskinning things we've already seen. Absolutely. But I think it comes out pretty good. Now... I don't feel like it doesn't appear like everybody's on board with me, but I thought it was a really good movie. So. I think it's fun. I agree with you. Yeah, I think it's very good, but they don't. So IMDb. They're not on the podcast. They're not on. Yeah. 5.5. Do you want to guess the scores, the other scores? I'll give it a shot. Yeah. How many critics have we got? Six. Oh, God. Yes. Um, 23. 33. <sighs> it's close, close. The audience, you got 2,500. 2,500 plus. plus. I will go with... 41 30 damn okay you're all within like 10 yeah um you want to guess my score 5.5 i have the highest score i gave this a 7 out of 10 holy fuck i think this thing's great i don't give a shit if it's just reskinned i think everybody brings it and i liked it so there awesome i got i got some things to talk about now let's talk about things what's changed in the way we approach film now over the past 50 years, what do you think stands out in your mind? If you were to say, if somebody said, Tim, right now, off the top of your head, tell me what's so different about filmmaking then versus now. I think our storytelling changed because the effects and what we can do change. So I think in some places we've gotten lazier and I think we don't rely on storytelling because I feel like when we go back and do older movies even things like in the 80s when we're starting to get into better practical effects yes I feel like it's still pretty good and I enjoy that a lot more I know I'm a child of the 80s and you know I was a teen in the 90s and like I I like that stuff there's a soft spot for it but I feel like nowadays it's like we rely so much on what 
can we recreate it? What can we do? These big special effects. Um, and I like them too. Sometimes when they're done right, they're great. I loved Cocaine Bear. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I thought that looked great. But I don't know. I feel like uh, storytelling is the lost art that we are missing. I think so. I think that the visual, the way we visualize things change. Sidney Lumet is a great example yes. of a filmmaker who... There are, like, Sidney Lumet is famous. When I think of Sidney Lumet in my head, somebody says, Sidney Lumet, I think of the, and there's a bunch of this in Serpico. Like, we're shooting, the camera's like 50 feet away, yeah. and he's having a conversation with some dude, and the camera's right. not moving. And it's just, he walked maybe, like, part of the distance, or it faded into us, and we see him walking. Yeah. And he walks up to this dude, 100,000 miles away. They do that a conversation. They do that a lot in Serpico, yeah. And, but when he punches in for a close-up, it's super impactful. Like, mm -hmm. it really means something. Like, oh, shit, why is he zoomed in so tight on this? Like, what's about to happen? It makes you nervous. It makes you yeah. unsettled. Or he's trying to show you how Al Pacino's reacting to these things. It matters. A close-up matters. Nowadays, we snap the damn camera everywhere. I can't keep up. Like, a Marvel movie fight scene, I don't even know what I'm looking at half the time. Right. It's, I just chalk it up to old man eyes, but I don't think that's actually what it no, is. It's, I mean, maybe in part, but certainly not the majority of it, right? It's the way we cut. And there's been so much worldwide influence, right? Like, the way they were shooting films is a great example. You just keep making good points. The way they were shooting kung fu films of that era in mm -hmm. Japan, the cutting was totally different. Right. Like, the old, like, you watch the punch happen and then you watch the punch happen again to make it look more impactful like the way it's edited is you see I the do punch like and that. the punch from the different angles is like boom boom like, oh that was a hard hit no it wasn't they cut twice you dumbass but you don't think about it because it's the way they shot movies mm -hmm. versus the other side of you know what I mean of the world like you know what I mean the hammer horror stuff where they were trying to go back to the mm -hmm. old universal style movies which were right. cribbing the old German you know what I mean like those old German uh, like Nosferatu and uh, Metropolis, those expressionist yeah. pieces yeah, yeah. that were just so out there and influential. It's really interesting how it, and now it's become this melting pot. And in a lot of ways, we've visual, using visuals to kind of cheapen it or to know how to work around a problem versus let's just make, sometimes you see something on the screen, you're like, well, that didn't work. Right. But it's like, it needed to be there though. And it's like, that's okay. And you know, I think when you get to a certain point in, as a cinema appreciator, you get to the point where you're like, that's okay. If that looks like shit. I don't care. I'm watching a movie from 1960. I don't care if the effect looks like shit. I understand the point that it has to the story. So if I emotionally allow myself to buy into it, it means a lot. Where once we started hitting the 80s, you looked away from the screen because it was too graphic to right. look at or too believable. Where just, you know, 15, 20 years before that, it was, you had to kind of suspend your disbelief and just be like, so what if it's a lettuce-headed you know, alien right. from whatever. Who I, cares? I can see the wire on that plate that's a UFO. Yeah, go back and watch <laughs> The Outer Limits is a huge, a huge guilty party and that kind of thing. But it's still, with the point they were trying to make, I don't care if they're weird-looking ants. Yeah. There's a point to that story, and that story is phenomenal. I don't give a shit if the ants look like butt. Yeah. But that's the, I mean, I think that's a really big one. I think the patience level and the character building we are so fucking impatient with that. I know. I know. It's, I want to know immediately who this person is from seeing them on screen for one second or three little lines introducing the character in a script. I want to know everything about that character, which sometimes works really well. Yeah. But if you want a complex character like Frank Serpico, like Father Karras, you have to take time and let it build and you have to let the audience live in their shoes a little bit like it right. just can't be get them right like if the exorcist was filmed now this movie is two hours and 12 minutes right if they made the exorcist again or somebody were to take it would be one hour and 40 minutes 
Yeah. There is no question that I would take all the air out of that movie. Like they absolutely, and you can see the lighter run times on the lower budget movies we had because the way you did it back then, if you couldn't afford a longer movie, was you simply made a shorter film. Yep. We're going to use less film. Ingenious. That's the biggest cost we have. We're going to use the, le- the they're going to use less of that. That's the smart way to approach it. Pick the visuals that really matter. Hit the story points that are important. Really make sure you understand it, not just, I'm going to shoot forever because I shoot on cards endlessly in 8K, and I'll even go as far as to reframe the entire movie in post, which is what they do on a lot of these big spectacle films now. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I guess the changing from physical film to everything being digital is a huge thing as well. It is. The edit is so much. The post-process and everything is... I mean, you have visual I mean, it's directors. Still, it's still an art. It is. Oh, it's and it's and but it's just different, right? Like, when you're standing yeah. there, like, there's the director. Who are all those guys behind? Oh, that's the visual. The heads of the different visual departments arguing over how the film needs to be shot so that they can make the 3D thing that's going to exist there that doesn't when they get into the post-production process. It's just, right. It's a different beast. So it is refreshing when you see something a little lower budget now where people actually had to be scrappy and think and the things we can do now obviously even on a low budget are like these people would have like pooped their pants to have access to right but it still takes thought like the more you put into it the more you put into it the early parts of the process the more it pays off later yes so i think I just we need a little bit more thought and a little less just going at it. And I think, but I think doing this for so, as long as we've done it now, I think it's very obvious when we see a movie that was just like, I don't know why the hell they decided to green light this script. Somebody wanted to put money behind the script. It sucks. It's terrible. And that's usually the most like aggressive we are with scoring is when it's bad at the point where it was the cheapest to fix. That's right. Where these, you're never, you're, you're rarely going to see, you're certainly going to get some of your trauma films from the early 70s and things <laughs> where they were just, if we put it on film, it'll play in New York and we'll turn a quick buck. That was certainly the start of a lot of this. For sure. It's different, different times. But that's why maybe if we do this again, we could go back you know, like 50, 75 or 50, 100 or something sure. and kind of just look at how far back and really like examine how, because that's what I wanted to see. What's an expensive, what does a really well-regarded film look like versus a film that's not so like famous? Infamous. What does that dichotomy look like? And I saw you had done that. And I was like, I'm going to do that. That's smart. I didn't do it on purpose. But it's, I did it on purpose. There you go. It's not because I already had that on DVD. No, sh- not important. Certainly not. Oh, no. Satanic Rites is one of those ones. It's like so many horror movies on DVD. It's on there. Oh, yeah. There was another one on there. I think it was D. Patrick Murder or yeah. something. White Zombies always on there. White's, a bunch. Yeah. I think I have White Zombie on yeah. seven different discs. Yep. That's true. Uh, <laughs> But I agree. I think I think film has gotten very different. I mean, just look at the Fast and the Furious stuff. Is there even a thought there? Like, let's just throw a plane at a truck and he'll catch it and throw it back. And is this who, the movie where he says he's Groot, or is this the movie where he says we're family? It's the family. Oh, Everything's okay. family. That that okay. Yeah, our fa- the way we feel about family has changed. In- the family. What family? Uh, whatever. It sounds just like him. It's very good. 